from Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community. Super Yacht Radio. Welcome to Super Yacht Radio at the Palma Yacht Show. We have the pleasure this afternoon of chatting with Peter Hertzler from Ocean Independence. Good afternoon. Hello. And thank you for being here. It's lovely to to be sitting in this lovely sunny day, fortunately, in Palma. Um, um, so we had been chatting beforehand um, a little bit about actually the the origins of Ocean Independence. Can you bring us back to where it started? Because you are a co-founder and managing director of the company. That uh, that will take some time, of course. <laughs> uh, I don't okay. know how much time we do <laughs> have, but I will try to I will try to be short. It's um, as maybe the case with many companies that have have grown over the time in this industry. It is not a necessarily very straight road. It's a road that uh, where where many things have come together, and uh, the most important always has been uh, and have been the people that uh, that make up this road. So. Um, if we want to go back to formally how it's been how it's uh, formally been founded then we actually go back to the 90s uh, when the company called Ocean Cruise was founded in Zurich uh, Switzerland uh, one of the biggest maritime nations as we all know um, <laughs> and your and, hometown um, exactly and my hometown my lovely hometown I want, uh, to do some advertising for Zurich um, and so I was um, I was starting then at that time uh, Ocean Cruise uh, or taking it over um, and started with the secretary for a few years in 1999 I decided that it might be nice to grow a little bit and opened an office uh, in Palma in, uh, and in uh, Fort Lauderdale but again that sounds great opening an office uh, it was actually uh, one person there one person there and also very importantly by the way a person in Monaco um, so that was from a two-person organization that became a huge five-six-person organization, but already on paper it had three offices, four offices uh, worldwide. And from there on, we started slowly growing, adding a broker here, adding a broker there. And, and the big development came in the early 2001st when we added uh, Ocean Management, which was uh, a company and still is a company dedicated to take care of operational management, new builds, uh, supervision, renovations, things like that. And, um, and then in 2005, 2004, 2005, a lot of things happened at the same time. One was um, that um, I was able to convince an old-time friend, uh, Nicholas Dean, who had been with Yachting Partners uh, International for a long time, uh, to join me because I felt that it was uh, not anymore the time to try and do this kind of thing on your own, being responsible on your own, I mean. Um, at the same time, I had decided to buy a, a proper company in Monaco, not just having an agency in Monaco, but actually buying a, a company, a shareholding company in Monaco, uh, which at the time was called Velona Yachting. And then we were also offered um, to take over, to merge with uh, Dami International Sea Independence. And so from a company with 10, 12 people, we became a company of about 25, 30 people. And uh, so that was that was big change, and also that was when the name Ocean Independence was uh, created, because from Ocean Cruise and Sea Independence, uh, we made Ocean Independence. And from there on, it's been you know continuous development um, with with organic growth, let me say, 
in many places, but then also a few more takeovers. We did by Cavendish White in 2008. Um, that was a very well-established company in London. And then in 2000, and I don't know the year actually anymore exactly, but something like 2013 or so, we did take over a company in uh, Antibes called Primo Yachting. And, um, and so, you know, there was acquisition growth and there was organic growth. And now we are one of the top five companies um, globally in this industry. We are about 100 and 105 people. Uh, we have the largest fleet of charter yachts of all the companies worldwide. Uh, we have a very respectable um, fleet of yachts for sale. So, yeah, it's a, it's a company that goes to places and hopefully will go to, to more places in the future. And you've, you're, um, is the core operation, is it still based in, in Zurich? Or is it, because um, you presumably still have your offices in Monaco, in London, Correct, yes. here in Palma we know, yep, yep. Uh, Fort Lauderdale, and you've even gone as far as Asia-Pacific? Yes, also. So, so yes, the head office is still in Zurich, Switzerland, uh, but that's where a lot of the administration is. That's where our banking services are located for the obvious reasons. Um, and when, when we look at where does the activity take place, um, then, of course, a lot is taking place in exactly the offices that you mentioned, Fort Lauderdale, Palma, also in Düsseldorf. We have a very strong office for chartering um, the UK. In the UK, we have an office, Monaco, Golf Schwan. We still have those offices. And indeed, we have um, two years ago, we have purchased the majority shareholding in a Hong Kong company um, to do some exercising, some testing of the Asian market and um, to see whether there's a bigger future for yachting for us in yachting in Asia as well. So one of the things, and this is to distract a little bit from ocean independence, but one of the things I've loved in radio mm -hmm. is is sometimes finding where the passion started. So <laughs> being being Zurich-based, I'm presuming you didn't necessarily grow up on the sea, but before Ocean Independence started, was there a sailing background? Was there a yachting background? There was, uh, there was uh, well, a very checkered background. I mean, you told me before we started the interview that your father, I believe, was a diplomat. Uh, my grandfather was a diplomat and he's actually in a way responsible for all of this because uh, he was with his family and my father uh, in Asia. He was uh, in the Swiss consular services in Singapore, he was then a consul in uh, Shanghai and he was a consul in Jakarta which uh, at that time used to be Batavia. And so my father was going to school in Batavia, he was speaking uh, Dutch fluently and whenever they had a holiday, because that was before the time of everybody being able to fly easily, so whenever they had a holiday they took a cargo ship, a Dutch cargo ship back to Europe and my father just loved that. He loved to be at sea, he loved that uh, experience in general and so later he became a, he became a lawyer and uh, he then, when he had a bit of money, he did two things. He bought a, uh, a, a terrible sailing boat on a lake near uh, where we lived, and he also invited us a few times to take a cruise on the cargo ships. So uh, when you go back to the old days, I think it's still possible sometimes today. Uh, most cargo ships had six cabins for guests, for passengers, so up to 12 guests maximum. And we did a few of these trips between Rotterdam and Venice or Genoa. So, And we were just all infected by, by the love for the sea. 
And then later, when it went a little bit better with him as well, he bought the sailing yacht in, um, in Scandinavia. And we did sail all our youth, let's say from 10, 12 years onwards, we did sail in Scandinavia and then later on around Ireland, for example, and in other places. So um, the sea somehow was always important to us as a family, which, which was not quite normal at that time in Switzerland. That was uh, a bit special. And uh, my brother, my elder brother, he decided that he absolutely wanted to be a captain on a big ship. And, uh, and I really admired my father, the way he did interpret the uh, being a lawyer. I mean, we all know there are lawyers and lawyers, but I believe he was a very good lawyer. So for me, it was always clear, clear I was going to be a lawyer. And I did everything that you needed to do to do that. So we call that gymnasium in Switzerland. It's like a, like the school, the prep school for university. I then went to university, started to study law. Um, and um, But I was also a very physical person at the time. I liked to be outdoor and, uh, and I did not really like university as much as I should have. I did not really like the students at university as much as I should have because this was the time after 68 and everybody was very... Well, as you are probably when you are normal and young, you are against everything, against establishment. And I really have to admit, I was not really against establishment. I thought it was just things were more or less fine, and and um, so I, I, I didn't I didn't mix very well with the students in Zurich at the time. And I had to go to the army at some stage, like at that time most people did have to go, which was not maybe the greatest experience, but it took me out of university. And then I was I was lucky to have the opportunity to, to go uh, for half a year to South Africa. Um, because I had finished my school a bit earlier than others, and so my parents always told me, if you finish early, you can go to South Africa. And I went to South Africa, I went to work on a farm, which was again a boy's dream, because I was driving Land Rovers uh, over big pieces of country, and there was wildlife, and it was just fantastic. Okay. And, um, and that was all good, except that it made it even more difficult to think about going back to university. And I remember that um, there, was, there was something, I was, I was in Zululand, which is up north, north of Durban, and there was this, and there still is, this port called Richards Bay. And at that time, Richards Bay was actually just being built. It's a, it's a bay, as the name says, and there was something called the Zululand Yacht Club. And the Zululand Yacht Club sounds grand, but it was just a shack, a wooden shack. And we had barbecues, braai, as the South Africans say, uh, there from time to time. And we went sailing with firebirds, and we didn't really take note that there were sharks in bay, but we went sailing anyway, and it was, it was great fun. And so one day I thought, hmm, what shall I do? And I decided to write to one of these captains who we stayed in touch with from our, from our cruises to ask him um, whether it was even possible for me to actually start a career as a captain. Because I was about 21 at the time, so it was actually really too old. And I never heard from the man again um, while I was in South Africa, so I went back home and I thought, oh, that's a decision as well. Somebody up there has decided for me I should continue my law study and finish. But as soon as I came home, this captain called me and apologized and said he was sorry that they didn't you know, comment, but it took so much time to, dis to organize everything. 
So either my English was very poor or his English wasn't good enough or whatever, but instead of giving me information, he thought I would ask to organize everything. And he got an special exemptions from the shipping company because I had no clue about I anything. I was going to say, when, was there, what was the training? And the the training was, was afterwards on board. And was I it did, like of apprentice training? Was, yes, I, he gave jump me... Jump on board and, exactly. and work your way up. Absolutely. So he organized an apprenticeship as a, as a mate, as a... Sturman, as they say in uh, in Holland, and uh, two weeks after my arrival home in South Africa, I was in Rotterdam going on a ship heading for East Africa, and then I was sailing for ten years on cargo ships uh, and finished with my captain's exam in Holland, um, and um, yeah, so that was my that was my seafaring career. There uh, you go. And then after that, my brother and I decided that because this uh, combination of professional seafaring and this wonderful experience of sailing yachts which we had as children uh, should be combined and we came up with a crazy idea to build a motor sailor for 12 guests um, com registered commercially which nobody yeah, did at the build time build it as in build like it as literally. in having constructed okay and um, so we went and collected money and obviously had a lot of enthusiasm because if i look back today i would never <laughs> give us money i have to say um, we didn't know what we were doing. Nobody knew what uh, what we wanted to do, and the shipyards were not up to it, and we were not up to it, and the designer wasn't up to it. It was it was a bit pioneering stuff. Um, so we lost all our money, but we built the boat, <laughs> and um, and we survived and it. Out and of interest, how big was it? 36 meters, so 120 feet. Uh, it that was, was a at that sizable time, project. At that time, it was a big boat. I mean, that was uh, definitely uh, a super yacht. It was, at a, that it was stage. a super yacht, absolutely. It was called Columbio, and we built later two more um, of that. But I mean, really, financially, it wasn't viable as an enterprise. It just wasn't doable at the time. We were too early to start with. Uh, we didn't know what we were doing. We were we were underfinanced. I mean, whatever you could do wrong, we probably did wrong. But we survived it, we learned a lot, we never let anybody down, nobody lost, lost any money because of it. And for me personally, it was of course the basis of what later became Ocean Cruise, because my network and including Nicholas Dean, my, my friend and partner, um, was all coming from that period when we did offer chartering and cruises on Columbio 1 and then up later it was two more of the Columbio fleet. So it was a very long nutshell, but in a nutshell, that's how um, um, I got stuck into in this. I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, when, when you started the charting business, was it in its infancy? Was it established? I mean, who were you up against? Because who, was, who, who else was trying to do it? Or were other companies trying to do it? Or was it... Kind of much more. It was uh, it was existing. So um, we're now talking about like eighty seven, the nineties, early nineties. So it was existing, and um, and some companies who are still here or were there as well. Camper Nicholson, obviously, was mm -hmm. a very respected name, but also Fraser Yachting Partners, Burgess. Uh, these were names that were existing, and um, and of course I was at the beginning. I was owner operator of, of this motor sailor, and uh, it was not against. It was with them, so that was very interesting. Interesting to to be on that side, uh, to know, of course, what it means to operate the yacht and all of that, but also what it means to deliver a charter service to uh, to the brokers and to the clients of the brokers. Um, and then, well, it was infancy. It was, it, of course, the ways of communication were very different. We were mm -hmm. very proud to have a satellite system on our vessel. 
Um, it was uh, at the beginning telex, later it was fax. Uh, so that was way before mobile phones and uh, G3 and whatever systems. Yeah. So yes, it was different. It was different. And um, the personal connection was extremely important, which still is the case today. But at that time, it was maybe even a bit more important because you had to trust um, what other brokers told you. So the networking was very important because you could not see everything. You couldn't see it on an internet page. You couldn't, you needed to trust your, your fellow broker who was sitting in a port that you would maybe never see. And there were yachts there that you would never hear of unless this broker would tell you about them. Because also we um, only had phones and letters at that stage, to yeah, be honest, yeah. for communication. We couldn't send an email or, you know, Nothing was as quick. Was no, no, nothing no, was not as quick all. as today. Nothing was as instant as today, which which had its charms, um, but also its complications. But it was uh, it was a good time because the, the friendship amongst the brokers uh, was very high, and it's very nice to see in in many occasions now that also the young generation are trying to build up the same sort of camaraderie and um, and networking as we had a long long time ago. I think that is um, one of the things that is more unique in, in the yachting industry is the connections between people, the um, support even in the same part of the industry. It, it's very much an industry built on relationships and the contacts you have and the people you know. Um, we're all ultimately, you know, the end client is the owner of the super yacht, but the industry that supports it is a very tightly networked community in many ways. Definitely true. Of course, there are always exceptions, and um, and and we suffer occasionally. Everybody suffers from from that. But in general, it's absolutely correct what you're saying, and uh, and it's very good that it is like that. I think when we we try to teach our young brokers in the team to also respect that it's it's important to be able to trust your fellow broker because we are in this together and we will always be in this together it's not going to be one company or one person uh, to dominate the whole market um, because the clients will not accept that and therefore the cooperation is extremely important and to give you an idea we do 80%, at least 80% of our transactions are with other brokerage houses. So whether it's sales or whether it's charter, there is usually there is another broker involved. So it is, it is normal and obvious that we need to be good friends with each other. We need to trust each other. We need to know that if you tell me as a broker that there is a good captain on this yacht and I have not been able to see the yacht myself, that I can trust you, that you're not going to tell me something that is going to maybe destroy a client relationship later because I recommend the yacht because of that captain. And, um, and that is a strength of the industry, in my opinion, at least. And for... I mean, you've now seen a lot of changes going ahead um, over the past decade or two. Where do you see it developing? What What's ahead for you? Or what are your feeling, your, your bigger strengths of where you want to go? I think as an industry, we will, um, we have said that before, I know, but um, I think we see more consolidation. Um, because the demands on the companies have grown so there will be like in other industries as well there will be I think a split between let's say the smaller companies when I say smaller companies maybe up to 10 15 staff something like that and there will be the bigger companies which are already there and they might grow a little bit more 
um, or not, hard to say, but I would expect really that they should grow a little bit more because what uh, clients don't see so much, what, what generally is not seen so much from the outside is also that the compliance issues that we have to deal with are increasing, like in, mm -hmm. like in most other businesses. Um, and in order to be able to support that, um, because it's a non-productive type of work that has a cost, you need to have a certain size. Um, and whether there's this payment requirements, KYC issues, whether there's a lot of things that have to be looked into and done, and therefore there will be, I believe at least, there will be a separation in the market between smaller companies and bigger companies, but they will still work together. So that doesn't mean that the bigger companies will exclude the smaller companies. It's just by nature that there will be some bigger companies continue like now. Mm -hmm. like now. But standardization can be a good thing because it means that everybody has to hit the same level. Yes. And, you know, <coughs> the end result <coughs> is for the <coughs> client, they can be assured that everybody's coming in at the same. Yes, I mean, there is another, there's another tendency in the market that we all feel, I mean, the bigger companies, when I say we all, because together we, we, we have a certain percentage of the market, of course, in our fleets that we represent. And, and we do, of course, suffer to some extent, if that's the right word, from the fact that contrary to the old days, let's say, you can today appear to be big and knowledgeable relatively easy if you know how to handle the internet properly. It's, um, it, it's, it's not a yachting capacity to make a nice internet website. But of course, to the client out there, the prospect out there, it's not so easy to know who has a nice internet website and who is actually a, a yachting expert. And the result of that is that we and, and all the central agents, they do get a lot of inquiries from people who do get their interest through a good website, which actually is very good. Uh, but then they don't really know how to handle the inquiries because they, they are lacking that side of the business. And I believe there will be some new regulations, let's say internal regulations, how things are handled between the various brokers and, um, and intermediaries in, in that respect, because not everybody will be able to bring the knowledge up to the level required to actually give proper consultancy and advice to the clients. And I see that the bigger companies will have to do more of that. We already see that happening now compared to the old days when the, the small brokers, all the small brokers usually had a very high level of uh, education, yachting education, of course. And there's also the increase in, to use the term, high net worth individuals. There's an increase in those and there's, an, it, there's a growth, particularly in the upper end of the super industry. Um, is that, do you see that reflection in charters as well? We are slightly, how shall I say, critical is the wrong word. We are, we are very aware that we are different in, in some respects from some of the competitor, competitors when it comes to only looking at the upper end of the market. Um, we, are very, we are sort of the new kid on the block still, even though we exist since 2005. Um, and we therefore are aware that we need to grow our own clients. And that means that we're looking at, at the lower end, the middle end and the upper end of the market. And so we don't see the growth only in the upper end. I, I would be even a bit critical that this is an endless growth up there. I think the growth and that's interesting for ocean independence is very much in the middle as well. Um, we see people coming down from the upper end to the middle uh, for various reasons. 
and uh, and therefore I think the, the the focusing only on the top level is is maybe sounding a bit more sexy but the reality is that the middle is very strong and we see and expect quite a lot of growth there and and our experience now would be that yes it's happening uh, especially on the charter side at the moment the chartering um, is is increasing very nicely in the middle and well in all the segments really so we do this conscientiously and we'll continue to do that from relatively small to very large and um, and try to satisfy all the clients in that segment. The other thing we have seen a lot more, particularly in the past year or two, is um, a little bit of, of people being a bit more time poor, therefore they want to be experience rich. So the experience we've been talking to a number of companies throughout Asia Pacific and one of the feedbacks is, you know, they've only got a week or two and they want to pack in as much as they want. So the previous generation, the older generation, were very happy to cruise from Saint-Tropez to Monaco and around the Med. This newer and particularly younger generation are wanting more of an experience than just the cruising. That is, yes, I, I would agree to that. I think it um, is also a bit differing from where the clients come from. So let's say if we, because you mentioned Asia before, we will we see that the Asian clients, also because of uh, not having this culture of long holidays, they want to do as much as possible geographically in a short time. A little bit like when I was a boy, we made jokes about the Americans wanting to see Europe in seven Tour days. Tour the whole and, of Ireland see, in a week. You know, Paris, London, <laughs> yeah, Rome, yeah. everything. Now this this is with the Asian clients sometimes the case at the moment. When when you look at the the Western clients, the younger generation maybe as you mentioned yes um, it's lifestyle it's experience um, but it's not wanting to do a lot geographically it's wanting to do a lot in terms of experience as you said so water sports um, going out uh, nice locations uh, um, all of that but not necessarily traveling a lot with the boat in terms of distances okay but Toys, tenders, Absolutely. you know, all Absolutely. of that. There's been yeah. huge growth yeah. in as yeah. well. No, for sure. I mean, the and you you see that when you look at uh, what is offered in charter yachts, the 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 selection of water toys is very important nowadays. And don't forget, it's uh, the yachting experience. The chartering is the most successful family holiday that the people can do so you have several generations on one yacht on a charter and that means that the elderly will have a need for maybe relaxation and calm and peace and a massage and the young generation wants to have slides and uh, sea bobs and god knows what so um, you need to accommodate for all of that in order to really make it a successful experience and then the the segment between those that want to charter and those that are buying is how would you distinguish between those for some that they're quite happy to just charter for a week others want to make the longer term investment do you see a, a difference between those two potential clients so to speak yeah, so they they must of course they must be different because they have a, they look at things a little bit differently and and there are people fortunately for our sales brokers who who see a difference in owning something really making it theirs and other people who are very happy to maybe try a few different things over the years and go there and go there and maybe go on a sailing yacht and then go on a motor yacht and and that's a different mindset it's. Um, 
I think that that is always it's human that some people want things to be theirs and some people are happy to to share or to to use and then go on to something else and have the variety as well have, exactly exactly without the responsibility which can be the of course uh, well like with anything it's like when you when you rent a chalet in the mountains or you own a chalet in the mountains it's uh, it's a different thing you have to care, take care of it and and uh, and you are sort of um, uh, bound to it to some extent which is beautiful because when you go back it's yours and you know every corner of it and you 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 grow its relationships with the, the restaurants around it and on the, on the yacht it's similar it's your yacht it's 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 everything is yours and it's familiar and feels comfortable and feels like home whereas with the charter yacht it's slightly different but you have more variety and um, and it's a, it's a differently beautiful experience Peter, thank you so much today for your time. It was lovely to hear the story, um, particularly of the evolution, not just of ocean independence, but of how it evolved from um, one of the things I have found most often with talking with people of all different parts of the industry is a deep passion for the sea. Um, and it has proved true again today that you also started with that as well. So thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure, pleasure to sit here today with you. And um, we have been talking with Peter Herzler from Ocean Independence. Thank you again. Thank you. Bye. You are listening to Super Yacht Radio.